privilege is all around you. It shows up in your clothes, where you live, the places you frequent, your network capital, and even how you spend your money. It's useless until you recognize it. So it's time to stop feeling guilty and figure out how to use your privilege to make an impact. Welcome to Guilty Privilege. Welcome back to Guilty Privilege. My name is Amber Cabral, and today I have the privilege of talking to Jonna Genova, performance coach and my personal Reiki instructor. Today we're going to talk about how you can get more healing into your life and why you should do so to create more equity in your life experience. Okay, Jonna, I'm so glad that you're here. You are literally one of the most... <laughs> like anchors in my life at this mm -hmm. moment because of the work that we do together. So I really mm -hmm. appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's jump into our conversation. I want to first talk about what you do. So what you do for me, we um, have Reiki sessions together, but you are in the healing space. So generally speaking, um, people who are in the healing space can sometimes encounter a little bit of but what do you do? You know, like, what is that? So can you tell us what it is exactly that you do? It's difficult to define in yeah. a couple of words. Yeah. And this is probably true for many healers mm -hmm. because a part of the healing work that we're doing with you is built upon the healing work that we've done ourselves mm. and the unique journeys that mm -hmm. each person has had. Yeah. So some of the modalities that I use are Reiki, mm -hmm. Um, Tibetan meditations mm -hmm. um, and how that shows up in our sessions is through my presence, yeah. which has been cultivated through years and years of meditation and study. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the um, like anti-oppressive work that I've done that I think is a healing mechanism that's in play during yeah. our sessions as well mm -hmm. that not everyone would name. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. So I think that um, the healing space has been branded to almost feel like it is f exclusively for white people. I think when people think of any of the things that connect to this, meditation, yoga, Reiki, typically what people are going to imagine is someone white. Mm -hmm. What is it that you are doing to open access to create more equity in the healing space? And why is that important as well? Mm -hmm. Where to begin? <laughs> because it's difficult for me to even talk about what I'm doing without addressing the problem. Yeah. And the problem is that those, the archetype of like the wafy, white, flowing hair, healer, mm -hmm. waving Palo Santo yes. or white sage mm -hmm. with a sort of washed out Instagram mm -hmm. aesthetic, right? Yes. Crystals, yes. all of it. Maybe they've got a singing bowl or several. Right. All of that is cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. It is. And it's been wrapped up now that aesthetic has evolved. And to me, what that looks like is white supremacy culture in action mm -hmm. that hasn't been checked. Mm -hmm. And the practitioner probably hasn't done any work to even be aware of what yes. white supremacy culture is. Mm -hmm. So it's really alive in the visual, but then also in the healing work that they're yeah. doing. Yes. And then it is perpetuating because white supremacy is designed to thrive. It is. So it is like taking ownership of these modalities that have deep origins. For example, Tibetan meditation practices date back 2,500 years. Right. 25, yeah. And there are thousands of people that have done these practices before me. And 
when someone had drops all of that culture or what parts of that culture do not seem appealing to them or they mm -hmm. don't usually it's because they don't understand mm -hmm. so they don't find it as beautiful as they would if they understood it yep they leave all of that behind and they take the parts that they they do understand or they find appealing mm -hmm. and now that has become what healing is right so the consumer thinks that that's what healing is about but really it's this mutated version of healing absolutely so the pro there's so, so many problems with that obviously yeah. right we have a diluted, mutated version of healing that's right. corrupted by the own practitioner's embodiment of white supremacy right. that isn't being checked. We also have the person who's coming to them for healing, who now is participating in white supremacy culture without even realizing that right. they're doing it. Exactly. And most of the problems that the person is experiencing Mm -hmm. that brought them to the healing space yep. in the first place are probably rooted in white supremacy culture. That's right. So what are we even doing? Exactly. Right? Right. So what am I doing about that? Yes. <laughs> what are you doing, <laughs> what doing about doing? that? Calling it out, number one. Yes. And this was never my plan. I didn't see this path laid out in front of me. Mm -hmm. What happened for me is that um, I grew up in a rural community. So I would go on long walks and find arrowheads, remnants, from the Native Americans who lived on that land before my family was there. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoyed spending time with trees and nature, feeling things. Mm -hmm. I also played the cello growing up, mm -hmm. which is an instrument that rests against the body. Right. And then later when I learned about chakras having- Oh, the vibrations. I thought, oh my goodness, the cello was tuning me mm -hmm. to vibration, mm. to understand vibration mm. from such a young age, right? Like of all the instruments- That you could have one. selected. Yeah. That's the one. Like none of this was planned. Mm -hmm. um, making like potions out of um, flower petals that I would find and um, grasses that I would find and rocks, all the things that I really enjoyed as a kid involved um, feeling into and knowing the textures that exist in the world and really loving the various textures and mm -hmm. all of the variety. Yeah. And then um, when I got into college, one of my favorite professors happened to be a Tibetan Lama, but I didn't know it at the time. And he taught a comparative religion class. Oh, wow. And so I was a Catholic school mm -hmm. and it was a class about Tibetan Buddhism and Catholicism. And I really um, thought that the perspective of Tibetan Buddhists on health was fascinating mm -hmm. because it was so contradictory to what I was um, had been introduced to as a pre-med student at yeah. the same university. Yeah. And simultaneously, I was taking classes about like ethics and healthcare and end of life decisions. And mm. it occurred to me that the Tibetans have such a different view about life and wellness that perhaps our healthcare system would benefit from recognizing that we had a cultural bias baked into the idea of what health is and the mm. way that we allocate resources. Mm -hmm. And at the time I didn't know it, but this was a perfect introduction to how bias can show up mm -hmm. and how fortunate was I to be introduced to a culture that was largely intact because of their geographic isolation. Right. Yeah. So they hadn't experienced there. There hadn't yet been the appropriation that we see today. Right. Of, um, meditation and Tibetan culture. Right. OK. So um, because of that, because I grew this like affection for the um, the culture, for the philosophy, for the religion, and also because my professor was so deeply embedded, he was one of the first white people to travel to Asia. Mm. Um 
I'm not sure why, but he was able to pick up the language very quickly. Mm-hmm. It's probably connected to his connection to the, the lineage. At least that's how I see it mm-hmm. to his karma. And so he learned directly from Tibetans and has since introduced me to these people mm-hmm. um, as my teachers, the mm-hmm. ones who are still alive. So whenever I'm getting around to like the point, <laughs> whenever I have a chance to talk about healing, I reference those important people. These are human beings, right? right who have held held these practices and these teachings for so long with such care. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason that I can do what I do today is because of their care and right. their work and their labor. Right. So naming it what it is whenever I talk about it is a way that I keep it alive mm-hmm. and stay true to it. And that requires great effort on my part because when I'm invited into spaces to talk about what I do or to share what I do, more often than not, I'm told, don't mention that. Don't talk about Tibetan Buddhism. It's too confusing. Well, can't you just make it more like, can't you call it mindfulness? Mm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. In one meditation studio where I was hired to teach, I wasn't allowed to use the word Buddhist or Buddha. And I thought, how could I possibly share what I'm doing? Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. So that's the cultural appropriation in action. So it requires standing up against it to call it out and to have the the guts to be willing to not get a job to stand in my values. You also though are like creating opportunities to connect with people outside of people you are immediately having access to. Mm -hmm. Like you and I met because we were on a plane together, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like literally. And before Mm -hmm. I got off, you were like, so listen, there's something about you. I feel like we should talk. And so we did. Yeah. And so I also feel like part of the way that you are creating access is that you're intentional about leaning in in the spaces where you feel called to do so, you know, instead of, I think a lot of times people may feel that mm-hmm. way, but they don't always lean in or they don't, or they may feel like it's weird. Cause like we were like getting off the plane, you know, people mm-hmm. are headed places. Sometimes people won't do that. But I think in addition to um, being deliberate about celebrating and highlighting where these practices come from, you've also be- been very intentional about honoring your own energy when you encounter an opportunity to lean in. Yeah. 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 Yes. Are I think that's that important. Yes, yeah. I am. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah. I, I also want to talk a little bit about um, what, why do you think it is important um, to get tools like the healing modalities that you practice into the hands of people who don't traditionally have access to them? Because you work with a lot of non-traditional, I would say, you know, thinking about those stereotypical communities that would have access to this. Mm -hmm. You work with folks that are not necessarily a part of those communities. Um, Can you describe why it's important for those folks to also have access to what you do? I hope you're enjoying today's episode. And if you happen to also be looking for tools to help you navigate tough conversations, to be able to show up as a more impactful ally, or just to have resources about how to navigate equity in your world, I've written two books. My first book is called Allies and Advocates. And this book is really focused on helping you show up as a more impactful ally. It has actual tactics and tips and things that you can practice to help you get there, both for yourself and for others. My second book is called Say More About That. Now Say More About That is more about helping you to speak up, to push back, to challenge, to be able to have those conversations that sometimes get a little bit difficult. And in fact, I've given you actual scripts to help you to be able to do that. So if you're interested in just having a few extra resources in your pocket to be able to help you to navigate any of those things you can go pick up those books anywhere where you buy books or you can pop down into the show notes and click the links and buy them there back to the episode well everyone should have access to healing Mm -hmm. in my view yeah right and i 
want to know what the world would be like if all people could fully express who they are. Mm -hmm. And that's deeply rooted in Tibetan Buddhism as well. Right. The idea that all of us has an essence that is obscured by our life experiences. So covered up and um, then it, it changes how we are showing up in the world. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, working um, in healing spaces, including treatment facilities, my own experience with trauma, my own experience with life. Give me, um, say more about the treatment facilities. Mm -hmm. So in 2015, I was invited to work with a residential treatment facility mm -hmm. for adolescents mm -hmm. with co-occurring disorders, okay. which means they had at least two diagnoses. Mm -hmm. In other words, these kids had a lot going on. Yeah. Complex histories. Mm -hmm. And this was a unique, facility and that their approach was love to love the kids mm -hmm. to put them in a beautiful place mm -hmm. that could inspire healing where mm -hmm. they felt valued they felt important um and someone had the idea to bring me in to do energy healing with them mm -hmm. no one including myself knew what would happen mm -hmm. and what happened there was i think how i'm ending up in various spaces or leaning in is me just being myself and being different and there's something about being, like even being ethnically ambiguous, yeah, right? Where I don't really fit in anywhere, but I kind of maybe mm -hmm. can get in places. Yeah, because when I met you, I just assumed you were, you know, a regular run-of-the-mill white girl, mm -hmm. like, to be honest. So yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it changes depending on like time of year, yep. what my yep. skin tone yep. is like, how I'm wearing is. my hair, yep. all exactly. of that, right? Um, so that's another part of like, wow, I'm not, I could not have planned this, but my life has positioned me to have access to have access mm -hmm. and to learn how to be embodied and be different mm -hmm. than everyone else around me. Mm -hmm. So when I went into the healing center, the treatment center, I was different. I wasn't trained to diagnose these mm -hmm. kids. They mm -hmm. could tell. I was just a highly sensitive person showing up who had experienced trauma, significant traumas about the same age as them. Mm -hmm. And I was doing something different. Like the modality I was doing was different yeah. too. So they could connect to me because of the shared feeling different. Mm -hmm. And then also all of these practices and my choices in life um, have, have changed my constitution. Mm -hmm. So that people feel often feel a kind of safety with me. Yeah. And that can't be faked. It's like yeah, they say people feel your energy. We can tell. Yeah. Absolutely. So you recent, recently shared with me that I am the only woman and the only non-athlete that you have as a client. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, um, which, by the way, that blew my mind <laughs> to know that. But I'm curious about, you know, who, who are you working with, you know, with to the degree confidentiality mm -hmm. being what it is, but also why that community needs what you do and how they benefit from what you do. And then the differences or similarities with working with me. Okay. Yeah. So I can feel in your questions, you can feel me dancing around. Yeah. The questions that you're asking. Yes. And there's a, a reason. Yes. Why I am. So uh -huh. I'll, I'll explain that right now. Mm -hmm. There's a part of me that is so careful about the functioning of white supremacy as a force. Yes. What I do for work right now is really sexy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people might hear what mm -hmm. I do 
and then want to jump to doing that and Correct. working with these populations. Right. And so that's why I've been dancing. Yes. Dancing, dancing, mm -hmm. because I don't want people to take that approach. Mm -hmm. That approach is based in ego and it's not helping anyone, mm -hmm. the practitioner or the those that they're saying that they're serving. Mm -hmm. So I currently work with NFL players and coaches. Mm -hmm. I do some work with various teams mm -hmm. as a performance coach. Yes. But my way of doing the work is rooted in everything we've been talking about so right. far. Right. And which, by the way, that is a space that could benefit. Yes. <laughs> quite a bit. Yes. Mm -hmm. So just like the kids who are in treatment mm -hmm. for various um, complex histories, my scent and my intuitive nature brought me to this, I think. Mm -hmm. The way I experience the world is so much more than the words that are spoken. It's so much more than what I see. I experience the world in textures, tones, vibrations. I guess like the cello yeah, in a way. Exactly. Is how I'm feeling everything. And because and also because of like the way I show up in the world, my physical appearance, I'm aware in a in unique ways of how the unspoken is impacting us. Mm -hmm. So this is like so complex. I call it the pre-verbal. Mm -hmm. Everything that happens without words before we had words and the stuff we can't speak about because right. it's too painful. Mm -hmm. So that could include our, um, our ancestors. They say going back seven generations, according to epigenetics, we are embodying all of their experiences. Yeah, we carry it genetically, mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's shaping our perceptions of the world. Absolutely. So there's all of that. Mm -hmm. Then there's the stuff before we had language, like right. when we're in the womb, when we were little kids. There's the stuff we don't have words for yet. Right. No one's given us a label to understand it and contextualize it mm -hmm. yet. And then the there's the world today. <laughs> so there's that's, also that. That's right. Right. All of these things. Mm -hmm. And most of the healing modalities that are out there again, because of our, our the dominant culture, are happen through talking mm -hmm. or looking at something through a microscope Correct. or some other device, right. right? Right. And if we can't talk about it and we can't see it, then it must not be, be true. Real. It's not, it's not right. real, it's not happening. Right. And in my experience, all of the pre-verbal is very important. And if we don't address the pre-verbal, then there won't be healing. So, I seek to help anyone or to sort of like bring awareness that the preverbal is real. Mm -hmm. It does impact us. And then with professional athletes and with yourself <laughs> and with the kids that are in treatment, the com one common denominator, denominator is that you're all highly sensitive, mm -hmm. high achievers. Yeah. That is the thing you always say to me is, mm -hmm. oh, you're very sensitive. You're very high achieving. This is the way that shows up, mm -hmm. right? Because it's like a ripple that you put into the world, right? So I definitely feel like that. That resonates for me from that standpoint. Yes. Yeah. And people who are highly sensitive, I'm, by sensitivity, I mean awareness. Mm -hmm. They're open. They're more aware, aware of what's going on yeah. than other people. And so they have an internal GPS that's guiding them someplace that no one else could see mm -hmm. because it's based on their sensitivities. Right. And like I said in the beginning, I want to know what the world would be like if all of those people mm -hmm. could follow could that tap internal. into that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so I want to help the people who have that to retain that. So the commonality is high achieving, um, highly sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. And often these days, um, they come in like black and brown bodies. Absolutely. Usually. Absolutely. It's probably just because we're getting the opportunity to express in some ways that we maybe could not express historically. That, but I think they're drawn to me 
and my healing because the other forms of therapy don't work for yeah, them. Yeah, agreed. Weren't, weren't built for them. Agreed. And agreed. this is more built for people like us right. who more experienced sensitive. a lot of the pre-verbal stuff. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about what Reiki actually is. Mm -hmm. um, and what are some of the observations you've made since you and I have been working together? <laughs> Can I say whatever I want to say? I think so. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so Reiki, you know, just like um, white supremacy culture is an energy that mm -hmm. exists in the world. Yep. Reiki is an energy that exists in the world. Yes. And anyone can be opened to channel this energy of Reiki. Mm -hmm. It's healing, but it doesn't represent all healing mm -hmm. energy. There are lots of different healing modalities out there. What makes Reiki distinct is that it seems to know exactly where to go and like exactly what to do mm -hmm. for the healing. So that means that I, as the practitioner, don't really have to know anything about you. Mm -hmm. I don't have to ask you questions and you don't have to know either. Right. What needs healing, which is great. It just knows where to go. Mm -hmm. It's gentle, which I love, especially mm -hmm. for people who have experienced complex trauma, mm -hmm. especially for people who are highly sensitive, yes. who could be sensing what might come next and then might be putting the brakes on. Yes. Right. Reiki respects the, um, Free, free will and what you're ready to have healed. Mm -hmm. So it's super soothing and it goes at a pace that's comfortable for mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. I love mm -hmm. that. So I, um, you, you recorded a sleep meditation for me. Mm -hmm. I still use it. Um, I haven't used it as much lately, but it still works. It was one of the things that you did for me that I thought was really fantastic. I want to talk about why sleep is so important. It is one of the things I feel like you drill into me. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about why sleep is so important and also how it's so important, particularly for marginalized identities to rest. Okay. Yeah. Everyone needs sleep. Yes. Sleep is a nutrient. Yes. Just like food, just like water. Mm -hmm. We need sleep to operate. Mm -hmm. And again, because of dominant culture, we're wrapped up in this like hard work, yeah. bragging Grind about culture. how busy. Right. Yeah. All of that. Right. So um, there are some studies that have been done that say that if we get less than eight hours of sleep, mm -hmm. then we start to function like someone who's drunk. And I promise y'all I'm sober. <laughs> <laughs> right. It impairs our decision making ability, okay. our reflexes. Mm. Um, it has real measurable impact. Um, impact on our, our functioning mm -hmm. as humans. Right. So for anyone who's interested in being their best or as a high performer, the people I specialize yeah. in working with, sleep is the one uh, area of opportunity. Most people aren't getting enough sleep, but if we can adjust that, then we can really help your performance. And I believe that's especially true for people who are highly sensitive because you need to be able to tap into mm -hmm. that inner voice. Mm -hmm. So if you're sleepy or you're hungry or other needs aren't being met, your body isn't uh, tuned in the way that it could be. Mm -hmm. You're like a Ferrari that needs a tune up, yeah. that needs fuel, that needs yeah. good gas, right? Mm -hmm. So that's for the high performer, that's people in general. And then marginalized communities, let's think about the stress that they're under mm -hmm. every single day. Mm -hmm. And sleep is a time of rest and repair. Right. So if you're experiencing um, continuous stress, right. even if it's like low level, but like it's just regular. beneath it's all the, the surface, time. all the time, mm -hmm. that is, um, doing harm to you emotionally, mentally, to yourselves, mm -hmm. actually. Right. And sadly, marginalized communities are oftentimes folks who need to work more hours in order to pay the bills. Exactly. Right. So you're getting less sleep. Yeah. Mm hmm.
Hey there, I hope you're enjoying the episode. And in fact, if you are, you can bring me to your organization or event to help you bring conversations like this to life in your workspaces. This is something I do for a living. I do coaching, I do training, I do executive consulting, whatever it is that you might need as it relates to trying to figure out how to activate allyship or equity in your space. It's probably something I can support. So if you're interested in how we can work together, you can reach out to me at cabralco.com or pop down into the show notes and click the link link, book a discovery call, and we will chat with you soon. Back to the show. So that makes me think about, you and I had this conversation in one of our sessions before, and it makes me think about the impacts in terms of when you are showing up to work and making decisions, or, you know, if you are a marginalized person and you are in a position where, you know, because of white supremacy culture, because of systematic oppression, systemic oppression, you are in a position where you have to work to do more, to Mm -hmm. get more so that you can survive and you aren't resting. Like, how does that show up when you are driving? How does that show up when you are, you know, building relationships in your community, when you are raising children? And so it makes it a lot easier to pass the trauma on Mm -hmm. instead of actually folks who are able to rest and folks who are able to, you know, eat nutritious food or folks who have access to Reiki or folks who know how to meditate, right? That Mm -hmm. have the opportunity to do the cellular repair that you're talking about. Yeah, it's yeah. also an act of rebellion. It is. And I can't take credit for this. I would credit yeah. that ministry mm-hmm. and others who are doing yeah. this work. But Adrienne Marie Brown, too, her work on pleasure, taking the time for sleep yes. is a basic need. And then what about like a nap, just a pleasurable nap? Right. Just for joy. <laughs> exactly. Just because you want to. You <laughs> exactly. just want to lay in a hammock because mm-hmm. you can let's not talk too hard about naps right. though because i can't get one right now <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um so i would love to know what are some misconceptions that people have about um healing or well-being that potentially are connected to inequity mm. i think one thing that i hear from many of my clients mm-hmm. so mm, we'll say men black men mm-hmm. They don't like to go to the doctor, and this is also documented. Oh yeah, because they don't trust the doctor right. because it's expensive, mm-hmm. and and I wouldn't even call that a misconception. That's true. Yeah, like doctors doctor don't have appropriate and, training. Yes, that's correct. Our systems are broken, yes. right? So what that person is experiencing is accurate. Mm-hmm. So with energy healing, I think that that mistrust, because our society says doctors are trustworthy. Mm-hmm science is trustworthy linear thinking is trustworthy Mm -hmm. anything that doesn't fit into that there's already maybe suspicion around that that it's not legitimate right but the truth is that these modalities have existed for a very long time Mm -hmm. and have been proven to be effective for many people Mm -hmm. so sometimes this work is even more trustworthy even though we can't understand it Mm -hmm. with the mind that we seek to understand it with. Mm -hmm. We may understand it with our other mind, with our body. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. What do you wish more people knew about healing modalities like meditation or Reiki or any of the other practices that kind of fall into that category? I think they're essential for our well-being and that the very problems that most of us face today Mm -hmm. are because we're not doing these other practices that are receptive practices. Mm -hmm. There's so much, if we think about our day, there's so much doing. How much time do we spend in receiving mode? Even if it's just deep listening in nature or playing with nature in the way that I did as a little kid, 
we need as humans to feel connected to each other, to the land, to our food. I mean, when's the last time you actually washed your own lettuce? Right, right. right. You just take it out the bag. It's like wash three times. Right, right. You know, Mm. so meditation and healing are sort of packaged forms of receptive mode. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you think about it, mm -hmm. I remember reading um, in a book I have about it was the title of the section was slow food. I wish I could tell you what book it was, but Mm -hmm. it was talking about how it could be meditative to intentionally prepare your meal, make your plate, have a place setting like just the Mm -hmm. deliberateness of that often is overlooked. So it's interesting that you thought about like, when's the last time you washed your own lettuce? I'm like, not only washed your own lettuce, but like literally took your time to plate your food, which is something I'm intentional about. I do plate my food and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't eat out of plastic containers and all that stuff. But um, I I think that sometimes we can miss the opportunity to slow down and receive and experience, like experience your meal instead of like scarf, I'm in a rush, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that there's value in that as well. And it's a muscle. Mm-hmm. It is a muscle. So we can't just decide I want to go on vacation and now I'm going to take my time and slow down. Right. It just doesn't work that way. Our nervous system needs to have support in settling Mm -hmm. itself Mm -hmm. and meditation and healing give us that support. They teach our body a new way of being. Mm -hmm. And then doing it on a regular basis helps us so that when we are making our dinner and plating the meal, we can actually experience it not as a deliberate action, but mm-hmm. as receiving the beauty and the gratitude that's available in that moment. And that's when it becomes really enriching and feels yeah. really good. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. How do you think, so in an industry where a lot of people can be a little whimsical and pretty and soft and like not necessarily have the skill set, so there can be charlatans in this space, mm-hmm. how do you recommend someone vet that someone knows what they're doing? I wish I had a simple answer. Like, there's a professional organization. Yeah, that they I should be. Yeah, so there. there's too, they're right. the order of my state, <laughs> which great. is exactly why I'm asking you because there isn't that. Doesn't exist. Yeah, and um, I think in this case, going with your instincts, especially if you are a highly sensitive person, mm-hmm. especially if you are um, a person of color or another marginalized group, mm-hmm. where you have learned to rely on your senses mm-hmm. and your body has a lot of wisdom. Right. And believing that. Yes. And if if someone feels off to you, trust it. Trust it. I would say look for things in their bio, like they've done anti-oppressive work, blah, blah, but anyone can say that now. And now it's like a really cool thing thing to say or like trauma informed, blah, blah. And it's just not really trustworthy. Mm -hmm. So one way to know if they can back that up is looking at like how many hours of experience do they have? Mm -hmm. How many clients have you worked with? Mm -hmm. What kind of training did you receive? And with Reiki, if they did it online, I would Stay away from that person. Oh, wow. This is someone who wanted to pay a small amount of money and click through. Mm. Someone who even did a weekend certification, which Mm. is usually how it's delivered. I would also stay away from that. Got it. I think that there should be several. So we can ask, how did you get certified Mm -hmm. for Reiki? For Reiki specifically, Mm -hmm. I would ask how much time was between level one, level two, and perhaps level three, if they have that level. Okay. And you want to see a good amount of time between each certification. Yeah. Because it shows that they're committed to it, practicing, working with people and gaining experience. And it's not just like, oh, I really liked that person's Instagram page. And Uh I think this week I want to be a healer. Exactly. Right. I'm sure there's a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this show is called Guilty Privilege. 
And the reason I call it that is because I think people have a lot of guilt around the privileges that they have. Mm -hmm. And that shows up in all kinds of ways. And also there's a lot of lack of awareness of privilege in general. And what I wanted to do was try to highlight how privilege really gives us an opportunity to make an impact. It's, mm -hmm. it's a tool. So if you have it, which we all do, whatever version of it you have, the idea is that you are being impactful by using it to assist and support and aid and all of those things. What I want to ask you is, what is one privilege that you have that you refuse to feel guilty about? One that I'm practicing, and I started too late. I wish I could, someone gave me permission or told me about this when I was younger and yeah. I had more of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, or maybe it was in a different way. Maybe it, more is not the right word. But mm -hmm. really um, taking in and enjoying my beauty yeah. and its various forms. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. I think a lot of us have been conditioned to not describe ourselves as beautiful um, or to shy away from compliments about mm -hmm. particularly our appearance, but even just our skill set. Like I think women are kind of, um, at least my experience of being a woman is like humble, 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 humble. <laughs> and so I think it's really good that you are unwilling to feel guilty about that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to encourage more beauty in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I like beautiful things. Same. Me too. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you. All right.